Good morning and welcome to worship on this 16th Sunday after Pentecost. Whether you're joining us via our YouTube channel, our podcast, or our radio broadcast, we are so glad you have found your way to this time of worship. We welcome this morning Courtney Mack and Dale Freeberg as guest musicians who join our wonderful Michaela Gifford Welcome, Courtney, Dale. Thank you for that wonderful prelude and for your continued gifts you share here with us this morning. In preparation now for worship, you are invited to light a candle and to gather some bread and wine or juice in order to celebrate Holy Communion a little later on in our worship. We begin worship this day in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God who creates, redeems, and sustains us and all of creation. Amen. Let us confess our sin now in the presence of God and of one another. Let us pray. Most faithful God, have mercy on us. We confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We turn from your loving embrace and go our own ways. We pass judgment on one another before examining ourselves. We place our own needs before those of our neighbors. We keep your gift of salvation to ourselves. Make us humble, cast away our transgressions, and turn us again to life in you. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. God hears the cries of all who call out in need, and through his death and resurrection, Christ has made us his own. Hear the truth that God proclaims. Your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Led by the Holy Spirit, live in freedom and newness to do God's work in the world. Amen. We join together in singing our gathering hymn. This day we sing, Will You Let Me Be Your Servant, hymn number 659.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, you show perpetual loving kindness to us, your servants. Because we cannot rely on our own abilities, grant us your merciful judgment and train us to embody the generosity of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. We now hear a special kids' time story. Good morning, OSL kids and adults, and welcome to the story time as we meet another holy troublemaker, an unconventional saint. This morning, we meet someone who maybe many of you have met before, a man by the name of Mr. Fred Rogers. Here's his story. It's February 19th, 1968 and a new television show for children debuts today. Imagine gentle music playing as we see a model neighborhood with houses and little stores and little trees and a little red trolley. Imagine the camera zooming in on one house and then the camera angle changes and we see the inside of that house. A wooden door opens to show the kind face of a man he walks into the entryway of the house, a smile on his face, and he starts singing a song while taking off his fancy jacket and putting on a cozy sweater. Now imagine there's piano music playing and some sounds of a deep bass and a little light percussion while he sings. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? He continues singing as he sits on a bench and removes his dressy shoes and puts on comfortable sneakers. He says, I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. Please, won't you be my neighbor? This is all, of course, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood an educational television show for children that will run for 34 years on television. While the show began in Pittsburgh, it soon was shown all over the country. The host, Fred Rogers, known to everyone as Mr. Rogers, is a musician, a writer, a puppeteer, and an ordained Presbyterian minister who believes deeply in the power of television to change the world for the better. Mr. Rogers respected children's curiosity about how the world works. He also thought television should be simple without all the dazzling displays, distractions, and fast-moving edits that most producers thought were necessary to keep children's attention. Instead of fancy effects, he'd take his audience on virtual field trips so they could learn how things worked. Some episodes included, how are crayons made? Where does milk get bottled? Where do recycling trucks go? Mr. Rogers knew that talking honestly about feelings mattered a lot. Part of the show included trips to the neighborhood of make-believe, an imaginary world where puppet characters like King Friday, Queen Sarah Saturday, Prince Tuesday, X the Owl, 
Daniel Striped Tiger, Lady Elaine Fairchild, and many others lived. In the show's imaginary world, Mr. Rogers helped children deal with all sorts of feelings, happy feelings, and more difficult feelings like anger, loneliness, and sadness. Everyone has lots of ways of feeling, and all those ways of feeling are just fine. It's what we do with those feelings that matters in this life. In his quiet way, Mr. Rogers was a revolutionary. During a time when racial tensions were high and the Civil Rights Act had only recently been passed, Mr. Rogers planned a segment with Officer Clemens, an African-American police officer, who was the first recurring African-American character on any children's show. One episode showed a hot summer day, and Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens to dip his feet into a little kid's pool with him. This was at a time when public pool and hotel pool managers were often openly hostile to African-Americans. Seeing a black man and a white man sit, sit next to each other with bare feet in cool water was a powerful image. They didn't say anything directly about racism during the show, but they enjoyed cooling off together. That's the gentle way in which Mr. Rogers taught and modeled the type of community he believed in. When difficult things like the Vietnam War were in the news, Mr. Rogers was honest with children about how hard life can be, yet he always found a reason for hope and resilience. Today, when there is a terrible tragedy, people still share Mr. Rogers' advice about looking for the helpers in the world, advice that he said his mother once gave him as a boy when bad things would happen. Look for the helpers, she said. You will always find people who are helping. Mr. Rogers said that often too. In many ways, this soft-spoken man who had originally planned to be a pastor had a more powerful presence than he ever would have in a traditional church. For decades, to his large television audience, Mr. Rogers modeled respect for all people. He wrote interactions for the show based on his beliefs that honoring our neighbors is a key part in how we live out God's love and purpose in the world. I believe appreciation is a holy thing, he often said that when we look for what's best in a person we happen to be with at that moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. Recently, a personal conversation Mr. Rogers had years ago with a friend who was gay became part of the news and made Mr. Rogers even more special to the LGBTQ community. Mr. Rogers' friend was explaining a scale that researchers use to categorize someone's sexual orientation. The friend wrote many years later in a book that Mr. Rogers had said, well, I think I must be smack dab in the middle because I have found women attractive and I have found men attractive. Mr. Rogers was married to his wife, Joanne, for 50 years. He died in 2003. The broader culture has changed a lot since his conversation with his friend. And it's always hard to assign someone an identity they might not have claimed for themselves. But Mr. Rogers was clear 
that all people are unique and worthy of love and respect, just exactly as they are. And it seems safe to say that he would support the LGBTQ community. Love isn't a state of perfect caring, he often said. Love is an active noun, like struggle. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right here and now. The enduring legacy of Mr. Rogers can still be felt today. He modeled what he thought the world needed more of and insisted that each person is valuable. He ended every one of the 895 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with this message. You help to make each day a special day just by being yourself. There's nobody else in the world who's just like you. And I like you just the way you are. I like you just the way you are. There isn't a kinder, more loving expression we can share with the people around us. I like you just the way you are. May you share that message in your actions and with your words. May you seek to be a good neighbor. Thanks for listening this morning. We continue our worship now as we hear our first reading. Our first reading this morning is taken from the book of Jonah right after Jonah has given a short sermon in Nineveh. And in our reading, the Ninevites all repent, and God then decides to spare the city. Jonah objects to this and becomes even more angry when God orders a worm to destroy a plant that's providing him shade. The book of Jonah ends with a question that challenges any who are not ready to forgive. You, Jonah, are all worked up about a bush, but shouldn't I be concerned about 120,000 Ninevites? A reading from Jonah, chapter 13. When God saw what the people of Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that God had said he would bring upon them, and God did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a generous God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me that to die than to live. 
But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush, for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. We continue worship as we hear now our gospel reading for this day. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, and the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have Born the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace and peace to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. There are millions of people around the world who wake up every day to wait for a bus or a pickup truck hoping that they will be chosen to be transported to fields, farms, factories, where they will work from dawn to dusk for a day's wage. Day laborers now in the time of COVID struggle all the more as the work they seek in many cases has dried up. And if they are lucky enough to get work for the day, that work may well be dangerous with no overtime or health insurance or even minimum wage. As Cesar Chavez once said, we live in a world where a man who picks food for a living can't afford that food to feed his family. Maybe 
Jesus' parable in our gospel this morning invites us to imagine for a moment what it would be like to be standing there with them, waiting for that ride, hoping to be chosen. The truth is, I've never actually waited on a roadside or in an empty parking lot, hoping to be chosen for such work that still will not be enough to feed my family. So I haven't tended to hear this story from their point of view. I've tended to hear it from what is more typically an American point of view. Well, that's not fair. Those hired last should be paid less, pure and simple. But a day laborer might hear this story differently than I, waiting on a roadside, hoping and praying to be chosen. Oh, to be chosen first. What a relief to know that at least this day will bring some food for the table. What a pity for those who have to wait longer in uncertainty. Any day laborer hearing this story, whether when Jesus first told it or now, would know the powerlessness of waiting and would know the relief of being hired. For them, the promise that the last will be first, the forgotten will be remembered, the overlooked will be seen. It is good news, the very best news. But like I said, I've never waited on a roadside or in an empty parking lot for work. In learning about what migrants and modern day laborers face every day just makes me more aware of my privilege. My privilege of education, the privilege of a strong support system, white privilege, the privilege of place and home. I think the grumbling laborers in Jesus' parable give voice to a rather familiar refrain of those who have been born into privilege. That refrain suggests that if you just work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can be successful. It's all up to you. Unfortunately, very little is ever said about the fact that not everyone's bootstraps are the same length or quality or level of durability if you even have bootstraps at all. This is a bit of a side note, but have you ever thought about how odd that saying is, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? I mean, it's physically impossible to pull yourself up by pulling on any part of your boots. Seriously, just try to pull yourself up and over something by just pulling on your shoes. Interestingly enough, the original meaning of this phrase, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, actually meant to try to do something completely absurd. It was used originally in the 1800s to describe something ridiculous. But somewhere along the lines in our American experience, the ironic and humorous became a metaphor for self-improvement. But really, the original meaning still holds true. No one is totally self-made. We are connected interconnected. And our opportunities, no matter how hard we work, our opportunities are bigger than just our own earned merit. We need help pulling ourselves up. Jesus, I think, invites us to see, to recognize our privilege, and to measure it as responsibility. Privilege means 
responsibility. Hi, beauty. And wherever we do lack power, wherever we do experience oppression or injustice, Jesus reminds us that we are beloved. The last shall be first. And in God's kingdom, the first shall lift up and usher forward the last. Someone once said that the parables Jesus tells are kind of like a stick of dynamite covered with a story. What a gift to have our assumptions upended about what God's justice should look like. What a gift to have our sense of self-madeness stretched and turned inside out. What a gift to take note of our privilege and then to use our power to lift up and usher forward. What a holy calling it is to stand with those who know the powerlessness of waiting, who know the relief of being chosen. For they are we, and we are they, together connected in the body of Christ. That the last will be first, the forgotten will be remembered, the overlooked will be seen. It is good news, the very best news. The parables Jesus tells are like a stick of dynamite just covered with a story. Thanks be to God for the ways that these stories can blow up our small ideas, our sense of entitlement, our self-centered ways of looking at the world. Now, normally I might just end my sermon here, but it just so happens that we have heard yet another parable of sorts in our worship today that I think deserves some more of our attention too. So if you're sick of listening to my sermon, you can fast forward if you want, but if you do, you won't get to hear about one of my favorite stories in the Bible, even though it did terrify me as a child. Thankfully, I have overcome the image of Jonah in the belly of a whale. That was the only part of the story I remembered as a kid, the terror of what happens when you don't do what God commands. My childhood takeaway, watch out for God and watch out for whales which as some of you may remember from a previous sermon and confession, that whales are a deep and irrational fear of mine. But this story that is the book of Jonah is not actually a lesson about fearing God, but rather about God's mercy, about the wideness of God's mercy, and about our often short-sighted, small-minded, narrow-visioned way in which we see God our world, ourselves. Peter Gomez wrote an engaging contemporary translation of the Bible almost 25 years ago now. Gomez often said that what makes the Bible so compelling is the company of characters who, like ourselves, are so often both confused and confusing and yet play their part in the drama of real relationship with God. The stories of these biblical characters, he would say, are not true because they are in the Bible. Rather, the stories are in the Bible because they are true to our human experience of life with others and life with God. 
This is certainly the case for the story of Jonah. For this wonderful, creative, satirical, humorous parable that is the story of Jonah. It's a great parable, just like the parables Jesus told. Jonah, the anti-prophet, that would be my subtitle. The book of Jonah is only four chapters. You should read it or reread it when you have a moment. It won't take long. And it's a rather entertaining story. As our anti-prophet from the beginning to the very end of the story does the exact opposite of what God calls him to do. Jonah is small-minded, short-sighted, narrow-visioned, harsh in his judgment of others while enraged with injustice for himself. That's Jonah, the anti-prophet. Instead of doing what prophets are supposed to do, hearing, proclaiming, doing the word of the Lord, Jonah does the opposite. God commands him to go east to preach repentance to the Assyrian, i.e. enemy city of Nineveh. God says go east. Jonah goes west to the furthest known western land at that time, as far from Nineveh as he could go. God sends a storm while at sea and everyone on the ship shows more respect for Jonah's God than Jonah himself. But eventually, Jonah is thrown overboard but he is saved by a giant fish, swallowed. And still, it takes him three days before he prays to God. Three days in a fish belly. Now that is stubborn. But finally, Jonah agrees to go to Nineveh. The fish spits him out and to Nineveh he goes. And then what happens? When he preaches repentance to the people of Nineveh, something that never happens for prophets. It works. The king, all the inhabitants, all the animals of Nineveh put on sackcloth and ashes and fast and pray, signs of repentance. The king, the inhabitants, and all of the animals. I mean, come on, that's pretty funny. And when God sees how the king, the inhabitants, and all the animals of Nineveh turn away from their evil ways, God has compassion on them. Jonah is successful. How glorious is that, right? But mm, no, not for Jonah. For this was very displeasing to Jonah and he became angry. Ah, Jonah says, you always do this, God. Here are all these miserable sinners and you're just like gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Give me a break. This is not fair. I might as well be dead. That's Jonah's response. I might as well be dead. Jonah is such a drama queen. But that's what makes him such a great character. He is so ridiculously human. And he is beloved by God, just as are those Ninevites. For God's mercy is wider than Jonah's. Thank goodness. The stories in our holy scriptures, like these parables today, are gifts to us. Gifts that humble our egos. Gifts that embolden our faith. Gifts that help us to laugh at ourselves. And gifts that always, always stretch our imagination, our understanding of who God is, 
and who God makes us to be. Thanks be to God for the many gifts of faith, for discipleship learned, for grace and mercy deep and wide, wider than we can imagine. Thank the goodness of God. Amen. Have a great day, both for me and from Beauty Marianne Wigdahl sitting over here. Peace. We join together in singing our hymn of the day, There is a Wideness in God's Mercy, hymn number 588.
drawn together in the compassion of God. We pray for the church, for the world, for all of those in need. Generous God, you make the last first and the first last. Where this gospel challenges the church, equip it for its work of service. Strengthen our resolve to care for our neighbor near and far and to seek justice for those the world too often overlooks. Give us vision, purpose, and hope. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Sun and wind, bushes and worms, wildlife and farm life in cities big and small. Nothing in creation is outside of your concern, mighty God. In your mercy, tend to it all. And give us a spirit of generosity toward all that you have made. Extinguish the fires that rage out west. Be with those experiencing flooding and those bracing for and facing hurricanes. Protect life and homes, bring aid and resources. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Where we find envy and create enemies, you provide enough for all. Bring peace to places of conflict and violence. Inspire leaders with creativity and wisdom. Bless the work of negotiators, peacekeepers, development workers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Reveal yourself to all in need as you are generous and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Accompany judges and lawyers, victims of crime and those serving sentences. Give fruitful labor and a livelihood to those seeking work. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Even beyond our expectations, you choose to give generously. Grant life, health, and courage to all who are in need. As we pray, especially this morning, for Deb Johnson, Alice Kennedy, Carolyn Barnhart, Marilyn Lee, Jane Kingzett, and Tim Audness, Sandy Weber's cousin. Bring comfort and hope to Pastor Sarah and Nathan Miller upon the death of Nathan's father, Bishop Kurt Miller, and upon the death of Pastor Sarah's uncle, Ken Marone. Surround them with your love deep and wide. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We praise you, O God, for the generations that have declared your power to us. As we remember today, Bishop Kurt Miller and Ken Marone, give us faithfulness to follow them, living for Christ, until you call us to join them in the joyful song around your throne. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Surround Claire and Walk, O God, baptized here this weekend at OSL. Nurture her faith and make us good companions surrounding her too as she grows in faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. All these things and whatever else you see that we need, we entrust to your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. We share a sign of peace here among one another. 
We send our wishes and love and peace to you wherever you are this morning. Peace be with you. As we prepare to celebrate Holy Communion, we thank you for the ways in which you continue to support our mission and ministry. We thank you for your continued offerings to OSL. We remind you that you are invited to send in your offering to our church office. You can use our online giving option on our website at oslme.com. And we thank you for the ways you are not only generous to support our ministries, but the ways in which you support the good work in our greater community too. We continue worship now as we sing together our offertory, let the vineyards be fruitful. Let us pray. Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. You have set before us these gifts of your good creation. Prepare us for your heavenly banquet. Nourish us with this rich food and drink and send us forth to set tables in the midst of a suffering world through the bread of life, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus has taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. God's mercy and love are deep and wide. You are beloved. I invite you now to share communion with those you're gathered with or receive this gift, this sacrament yourself. The body of Christ is given for you. The blood of Christ is shed for you. As you celebrate communion now, we welcome Courtney and Dale, who will share with us 
somewhere over the rainbow. The body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen you and keep you in his grace. Amen. Let us pray. 
We give you thanks, gracious God, that you have once again fed us with food beyond compare, the body and blood of Christ. Lead us from this gathering, nourished and forgiven, into your beloved vineyard to wipe away the tears of all who hunger and thirst, guided by the example of the same Jesus Christ and led by the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Mother and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you and lead you into the way of truth and life. Amen. As we conclude our worship today, I share a very big thank you, thank you, thank you to Courtney and Dale and Michaela for such wonderful music this morning. Thank you for being here. I share a couple of announcements as I brief you, uh, the ministers of OSL. The first of which is that our Compline, our evening prayer service, has moved to 5.30 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. We gather in the parking lot, bring a chair and a face mask, and join us. And if it rains, we cancel for the night. Another invitation for those of you who have lost loved ones recently. We want to invite you to make a request for a favorite hymn in memory or honor of a loved one. And as we're able, we'll include that in our worship services as our sending hymn. Please contact the church office with those requests. Finally, I remind you that if there is a prayer concern you have or you wish to visit with one of your pastors or one of your parish nurses, please reach out to us. We are here for you. All of our contact information can be found on our website at oslme.com. We conclude our worship as we sing together our final sending hymn, Will You Come and Follow Me? Hymn number 798.
Go now in peace, O people of God. Remember the poor. Thanks be to God. Jesus, let him hold you in his